2: Go to
0: BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com code LISTEN.
1: Equity minds!
3: I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is. Equity.
4: Welcome to another episode of Equity May. It's a podcast that follows our journey of investing. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro?
2: I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. Yes. I've actually got some feedback from my dad that I say I'm very excited too much.
4: Yes, well, we know Uh, that. I
2: tried to explain (laughs) that, you know, we have a pro forma intro, but anyway... (laughs) Dad, I hear your feedback, but I'm going to say it this episode because that's how excited I am yes. for two big reasons. What are they? First of all, we're kicking off our very exciting series, which we'll intro in a second. Yep. But the second reason, happy episode 300. <laughs>
4: that's right. We're in 300 episodes. Pretty phenomenal given, I don't know, we never thought we'd really be in this position. It's been an awesome Four years, and I guess we couldn't really do it without the amazing Equity Mates community. All of you guys out there listening to us and giving us the support that we have received over the last, you know, number of years. It's it's just been a phenomenal journey, man. And I'm really excited for what's to come.
2: Yeah, yeah, same. It's been great. What four years? Four years, almost. Yeah, four years. Two um,
4: podcasts.
2: Yeah, and uh, many of those years was terrible audio quality. So we <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> appreciate the community for. Uh, sticking with us. And we're excited to see what year five and beyond. episodes beyond 300 <laughs> have in store. Absolutely. But right now, this episode, we're not beyond 300 yet. 300 no. is going to be we a We do have up. to make
4: it through this one. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a pretty special episode uh, for reasons that we will get into shortly, but it is our absolute pleasure to welcome Rory Lucas to the show, who is the Chief Investment Officer of Hearts and Minds Investments Limited. Rory, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We've got a pretty special episode. The work that Rory is doing over at Hearts and Minds is pretty unique and we're very much looking forward to unpacking it. And there's some exciting things coming up that Hearts and Minds are going to be involved in that we're excited to share with you guys as well. But before we do, just a, a brief background on Rory. Rory has worked in the Australian and global equity markets for nearly 30 years, whilst having worked in a variety of roles. His specialty is trade execution as well as portfolio construction and risk management. And so we're going to be unpacking all of the work that he doing over at Hearts and Minds. So ready to get stuck in.
3: Bring it on.
2: So Rory, before we do that, we do like to start with a bit of a game, throw a few indexes and themes out there and get your thoughts on whether they're overrated or underrated. So you're up for playing? I sure am mate. All right, well, we'll start at home and we'll start with the ASX 200 index, overrated or underrated?
3: Well, it depends. If you like banks and resources, it's probably underrated because yep. it's got such a big weighting. So, it's probably 50% banks and resources. If you like banks and resources, it's underrated. To me, it's overrated.
4: Moving overseas, the S&P 500, overrated or underrated?
3: Same as the Aussie market in a way. If you like tech stocks, the S&P 500 is probably still underrated. Now, The top five stocks known as the FANGs, Mm -hmm. they now represent probably 25% of the S&P 500. Mm. So, it's a bet on tech stocks. Mm. So to me, a bit overrated.
2: So you work for a listed investment company, an LIC. We're not going to ask you about LICs. We are going to ask you about ETFs, exchange traded funds, overrated or underrated?
3: Underrated. I think they are a great way for first-time investors and experienced investors to...
2: I was hoping to hear a bit of like LIC-ETF
4: rivalry going on, but, but nah, no. That's off air. There, there's plenty
3: of, <laughs> plenty of room for both. Yeah.
4: An investment class that is often, well, that is always on the, the, the minds of many Australians and that is residential property. So overrated or underrated Australian residential property?
3: The great Australian dream. Yes. yes. <laughs> As an investment, well, who doesn't want to own their own house? So in that regard, it's probably pretty good. My view on Australian residential property. is It's not really an investable sector because every region is different. Different parts of Sydney, you know, some parts are very, very overrated and you, they're a sell and there's places that are cheap. COVID has probably made areas a little bit further from the city of Sydney a bit cheaper yeah. and therefore underrated. So it's a mix. So I'll be a neutral. Fair nice. enough. So one asset class
2: that shot up earlier this year amidst all the COVID drama was Gold, so overrated or underrated?
3: I'm going straight to overrated.
2: Okay. (laughs) Boring.
3: (laughs) Um, Why own it? If you've got a view on the US dollar, you've got an inverse view on gold. Overrated.
4: Okay, fair enough. To close out, Rory, overrated or underrated
3: Bitcoin? Okay. An investment philosophy, which we may talk about in a little while, is if you can't explain something to your 10-year-old son or daughter, it's probably not worth investing in. I can't explain Bitcoin. Okay. Overrated. <laughs>
2: Fair enough. That's a Pretty good rule. Pretty clear. That's yeah, good yeah. rule. Yeah, I like that. So Rory, we're keen to get stuck into hearts and minds, but before we do, we want to get, I guess, stuck into you and, and learn a little <laughs> bit more about you. We like to start these interviews by asking about people's very first investment. We find there's normally like a good lesson that comes out of it, or at least a good story to it. So to kick us off today, can you tell us the story of your first investment?
3: It's not so much a lesson as it is a scar. Same (laughs) as Ren, maybe. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard of this one, but it was called Chaos Music. Never heard of it. It was revolutionary in in its time. It was two bricks and mortars stores that were selling compact discs, otherwise known as CDs. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, What could possibly go wrong, right? This was pre-streaming, shall we say. Didn't end well. (laughs) Steve Jobs, Apple, iPods was the end of chaos music, Mm. zero. So what's
4: what's the learning from
3: that, I wonder? If your broker says this is gold, this is fantastic, it's probably not. But more importantly to any investor, do your own homework. Mm. Do the work yourself. Mm. See if the company actually makes money, how it's going to make money do your own work. Mm. It's yeah. like EB games at the moment. I'm
4: still surprised that with all of the online games now, it's like how's how's there still bricks and mortar mm. stores for this place still up and running. But anyway, yeah.
3: one thing one thing I'd add to that would be a benefit of covid is sort of shutdowns. If you're looking at an investment, can a company survive a shutdown? If mm. if the mm. store shuts for 6 months, mm. 12 months, whatever, probably changes your investment view on a lot of stocks and a lot of sectors. Yeah, absolutely.
4: Yeah. So Rory, you are Chief Investment Officer at Hearts and Minds, but um, you've obviously had a pretty long career in markets. Are you able to just share your journey in finance and how you have become to be a Chief Investment Officer?
3: Straight from school to university, Bachelor of Commerce, Uni of New South Wales, um, straight out. And then I got my first job at Bankers Trust in the, the dealing room of 1990, which was the, the place everyone wanted to be. I don't know how I got there, but <laughs>
1: Smarts, someone maybe. someone liked yeah.
3: me. And then I got to work at what we all called the, the College of Knowledge, being the trading floors that existed in the 80s and 90s, the Sydney Futures Exchange, and also the derivatives floor, the ASX derivatives floor in Bond Street. So I worked in trading pits for pretty much the first 10 years of my life, and then trading pits became redundant, everything <laughs> moved to electronic trading, and for the last 20 or so years, I've... Worked on equities desks doing market making, trading, risk management, portfolio management. Yeah, Um, nice.
2: So through that period, I mean, your whole working career really, have you developed a personal investing philosophy?
3: Most of my work, as I was just saying then, most of it has been trading. And you see with things, it's trading or investing. Mm. Generally defined by the length of time that you would hold a position. But investment philosophy Trading philosophy, I'll Mm. call it. It, It's trying to find undervalued and overvalued things. You know, people have spoken about shorting stocks, Mm. try and find something that's overvalued that will come back to its fair value.
2: So, do you consider yourself
3: a trader? Yeah.
2: Yeah. What would be like the average time you wanted to hold a position?
3: Before becoming more investment educated through hearts and minds, Mm. generally I'd hold positions for two days to three or four months. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Very short, yeah.
3: Trading around the edges, yeah, yeah. Trading yeah. around the edges.
2: Yeah. Very different skill to what we really talk about here at Equity Mates. Mm. Not something I feel I would ever have any edge in.
3: Mm. Yeah, and not many people do, to mm. be honest, because there is a lot of randomness yeah. in short-term moves of stock prices, and it's beware. Yeah,
4: yeah. Something I would like to learn more about, only just to understand it, not because I want to go out and buy a massive CPU and you, sit there all day. And you went buzz. through,
2: you went through a bit of a charting phase. You were like, "I'm going to learn this."
4: I did. Yeah, read a few pages. And I was like, nah, <laughs> "No, I'm long <long-term>, I'm <laughs> term. <long-term."> long <laughs> term.
2: Long <laughs> term." Too means, many charts here. <laughs> long term means people don't realize you're wrong until much, much later.
4: <laughs> so, Rory, let's get stuck into hearts and minds, and let's start at the top. It, it is a pretty unique Australian listed investment company. For those that want to look it up, as we talk through this. The ticker is HM1. So check that out on the ASX or wherever you are getting your investing information. But as I said, let's start at the top. What is Hearts and Minds and the story behind how it got started?
3: What is Hearts and Minds? It's listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, as you said. It's actually a portfolio of stocks. We have about, at any one time, 30 stocks in there at any one time. So if you buy one share, you have exposure to 30 shares and we'll get to that. How did it come about? In 2016, we ran our first conference called the Soane Hearts and Minds Conference at the Sydney Opera House, where we had a select group of speakers stand up and pitch their single best stock investment idea that they had to the audience. Now, why would they do that? A, the audience paid tickets to come and listen to these esteemed investors. Be all the proceeds raised from the conference were going to be donated to a suite of charities. So it's been very philanthropic. So that was the first year. In the second year, exactly the same thing. Tickets were $3,500 to come and listen to these speakers. The speakers were actually paying to present at the conference because that was their donation. The idea being that people would speak giving their intellectual property for a greater cause, being... Donating to medical research. We had a look at how the stock pitches were performing and they performed exceptionally. The returns were off the scale. And so in the second year, there was a, we call it a special purpose vehicle was created for people who wanted to invest in the ideas of just the conference. And I think that returned 44% in nine months. And then they handed the money back. They sold all the shares. They handed it back and said, that's great. So the brains behind hearts and minds, the genuine founders. Of hearts and minds said, how can we make this even better? How can we make this better for shareholders, potential shareholders, if we were to raise it? And how can we make it such that an even bigger donation can be made? And so the founders got together in the Magellan think tank and um, they came up with the concept of hearts and minds where we would have, at the time, five core portfolio managers and some conference managers And we would construct a portfolio around the recommendations of both groups of managers. And in line with being philanthropic, the way it was worked out was that instead of taking a management fee for providing this vehicle to shareholders, one and a half percent of the value of the fund would be donated to the various medical research institutes.
2: So, Rory, before we get on to the investing side of the fund, if I can just ask you a question about the charitable side of the fund. So, you said 1.5% of the funds under management every year is donated. Also, the tickets for the conference every year. Do you know how much has been donated
3: at this point? Since 2016, just over $20 million. Wow. Wow.
2: wow. And that's what spread across a number of medical yeah. research charities.
3: Yeah. So, the conference has got its own suite of beneficiaries. And the listed investment company has its own suite of beneficiaries. Yeah, wow. Do you want me to talk about how we've worked out some of those? Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a really cool story. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think for
2: people thinking about investing, it helps for them to know, you know, who who they could be supporting.
3: The reason I say it's a really cool story is that you might be wondering, you know, listeners may be wondering, why would people give their ideas to this group? Why would the core managers and the conference managers, why would they give their intellectual property to these mm. things? So so our core managers, of there are now six, but when we started, there were five. TDM Growth Partners are our sixth <laughs> core manager. Which nice. nice. good is. inclusion, good inclusion. Uh, I, th- I think everyone's heard of TDM. Yeah. They, in return for providing their highest conviction ideas, which we'll get to, but in return for providing their highest conviction ideas to the portfolio, they get to direct 10% each of the donation to a beneficiary or two of their choice. Yeah, okay. And the board also gets to direct 10% of the um, of the donation to a beneficiary, which I was lucky enough to go out to today, Mm. the paediatric intensive care unit out at Westmead Children's Hospital, and it was fantastic to actually – hand over a cheque for $463,000.
2: Gee, so you get the good part of the job. You get the glory of actually handing the cheque over. That
3: was pretty cool. (laughs) That was pretty cool. and It was a big picture and I will show you a picture of the picture.
4: (laughs) (laughs) So I do want to touch on, I mean, the objectives and the investment philosophy of um, Hearts and Minds. So are you able to sort of talk us through that? Is there an overarching objective slash investment philosophy?
3: The objective is to provide shareholders with yeah, a great long term return. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, there's a lot of randomness in short term returns over long term, generally cream rises to the top. So, you know, we don't pretend that we're going to make people money in year one. Fortunately, we did, but we don't <laughs> pretend that anything's going to happen in the short term. But we like to think that over the long term, investors will get a good return. And secondly, the philanthropic goal of the portfolio and the fund is to provide as much benefit to the the beneficiaries, as we can. And as I said, it's one and a half percent of the value of the fund defined as defined by the net tangible asset value of the fund. Mm. In August, we were able to write checks for just over five million dollars wow. for six months, handed across to the various beneficiaries. So the better the fund performs, the better, the bigger the donation yeah. will be yeah. to the beneficiaries and the better the return to shareholders. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to make it good for. Yeah, everyone concerned. Yeah, in terms of the structure
2: of the fund, you mentioned the, I guess the core and then the conference. The conference. You, yeah, yeah. I was thinking satellite, but that's a <laughs> that's a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, so maybe if we if we start with the core and then we get to this the conference, can you explain how the core works? Actually, also why you decided that a core was necessary and why it wasn't just going to be the conference stocks.
3: Okay, so like I said, there was this special purpose vehicle in 2017, which was just the conference stocks. That ended up being, I think, about 12 stocks. Now, by any means, a portfolio of 12 stocks Mm. is very, very concentrated. And so it was to make it less concentrated, more diverse. And so the idea was to have six core managers who, in return for providing their three highest conviction stock ideas, in other words, eighteen stocks there plus yep. twelve or thirteen, we end up with a thirty stock portfolio. But in return for them providing that ongoing service rather than just talking at the conference, they can direct some of the donation. So if I can say who the the six core managers are. Please yeah. do, yeah. Because they really are Hall of Fame investors. Yeah. We've got Hamish Douglas and his team from Magellan. We've got Phil King and his team from Regal Funds Management. We've got David Paradise and his team from Paradise Investment Management. We've got Will Vickers and his team from Caledonia Investment Partners. We've got TDM TD Growth <laughs> Partners. And we also have Peter Cooper and his team from Cooper Investors. So that's six. Yeah. yeah so we've got 18 stocks. Around. How do they make the cut to be in this Hall of Fame class of investors? I use the the, the phrase Hall of Fame because the Australian – Stock exchange does have a stockbrokers' awards night where they do actually have a hall of fame. I know a couple of our managers are definitely in it, but I also know that the others knocking sh- on the door should well, <laughs> perhaps don't even want the publicity oh, because idea, right. they, they like to stay below the radar. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I hear that the HM1 core portfolio manager is a better honor than anything the ASX can provide, <laughs> so they don't even care. Yeah. That's what I hear.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I reckon you're right. Yeah.
2: So, I'm just imagining that room. Those investors, their teams, and I assume yourself as well, sitting in a room deciding how you're going to invest. It would be a great meeting.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So what I should say about these core managers as well, and with some of our conference managers, is that the guy in the street cannot invest in them directly. They're basically closed to retail investors. TDM Growth Partners, who you guys know very well, mm. you can't just ring them up and say, "I want to invest my money with you." A yeah. lot of our We're managers would like to put some money yeah. with them. So <laughs> would I.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, but what HM One gives you is not only access to those managers, but the cream of their portfolios. Mm. Yeah,
4: I was just going to say, Rory, it's almost sounding a little bit too good to be true because, to your point, you know those fund managers are. Often unaccessible for beginner investors who are starting along their journey, but recognize that Hamish is brilliant at picking stocks, recognize that TDM are brilliant at picking stocks. But not only that, but you've got the fact that what is normally your management fee is using yeah. you know, for good. It's a brilliant sort of idea and vehicle for people who are looking for this sort of an investment vehicle.
3: A lot of these guys, obviously, we say they're Hall of Fame fund managers, they have been very successful in their careers. Mm. What I've found mixing with these people is that a lot of very successful people really want to find an avenue to give back Mm. to Mm. society. Now, how can really successful smart people, of course, they can just write a check and donate. And many do. and, And that money is always appreciated. But what these guys do is they give us, being the vehicle, their intellectual property in a way that shareholders can benefit from it and- yeah. The beneficiaries can get a very nice check, as you know, yeah. the Westmood Hospital got today. But, <laughs> but further on that, in terms of the alignment of interests with these guys, everyone has got some sort of story with medical research, You know, a, a problem, if it's cancer, if it's mental health, whatever it may be. I'm sure Hamish Douglas, if he's listening, won't mind me saying, because he did say it that uh, in a public forum, that... His father was the beneficiary of a heart transplant from the Victor Chang Foundation. So Hamish had a father for 16 years longer than he otherwise would have. He is forever indebted to the Mm. Victor Chang Foundation, Cardiac Research Foundation. Why wouldn't he give his best asset, being his intellectual property, towards a vehicle where the Victor Chang Cardiac Research Institute can benefit Mm. from his intellect? That's why it's such a fantastic idea and everyone's interests are so aligned and that's why that's why it does sound too good to be true but <laughs> I'm waiting for the cat it really is <laughs> I haven't found one yet
2: <laughs> Hey equity mates we're going to pause here for a moment to hear a word from our sponsors
1: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank
4: So Rory, we've spoken about the core fund managers, but one of the exciting parts about what you do is is the conference and we've got some awesome news for our EquityMates community coming up shortly. But what role do the conference fund managers play in the whole piece and how do their picks, I guess, being included in the fund? And
2: maybe even if, to take a step back, for people who've never heard of this conference before, maybe if you can start with what the hell the conference is. Good point.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's the Sown Hearts and Minds Investment Leaders Conference. That's a, that's a long one. This year it's held on November the 13th and it's a virtual one. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But it's where we have a group of people that source fund managers, some of them lesser known but extremely successful about the fly under the radar and they stand up in a TED-style talk. So they get eight minutes to talk about their best, single best investment idea to an audience. Last year, it was at the Sydney Opera House. The year before, it was in front of a 1,000 people down in Melbourne. So no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> and in the audience, there's a whole lot of high net worth investors, family officers, fund managers, mm. other fund managers, and a lot of retail investors that just want to hear the best ideas from the best fund managers in town. Mm. Like I said, they, they talk for eight minutes. It's fantastic how they talk because they really talk. They talk about the companies and so many times, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but so many times they talk about a stock that you haven't thought of, it hasn't been on your radar, and then you just go, how could I miss this? This is such a no-brainer. Mm. And then you look at the share price performance of some of these stocks, (laughs) and it's just been phenomenal. Mm. Stocks that you just wouldn't think to invest in. It's a pretty exciting
4: idea to, you know, be involved in. And you mentioned there that in previous years, it has been an event that you have to pay, you know, $3,500 a ticket to and make your way to the Opera House or wherever it may be. But, Rory, you mentioned that this year it is virtual. It is. And... Meaning available to a lot more people. And the good news is that tickets are nowhere near three and a half thousand dollars. They are five hundred bucks, but for the first twenty-five people in the equity mates community, hearts and minds have been generous enough to offer a ticket for four hundred dollars. So that's twenty percent off. That also is a tax deduction as it is going towards charity, which um, Alec and I are going to be going. We cannot wait. And look, it's just a fantastic opportunity. We'll get to those who are talking in, in a moment because there are some huge names to actually buy the tickets you head to the sown hearts and minds website that is s o h n Hearts and Minds, all spelt au. We will include this in the show notes, and uh, the code is HM1Mates. We'll also include that in the show notes. But awesome opportunity.
2: Yeah, it is an awesome opportunity, Bryce, only for the first 25 equity mates. So hopefully you are pulling out your phone or your laptop and going to the website now. And I guess, Rory, the question for you is the price of the ticket has dropped from three and a half grand to 500 bucks. Does that mean the quality of the pictures has dropped that, that much as well? <laughs>
3: (laughs) Not even (laughs) close. No way. No way. It just gets better and better every year because the mantra is better than last year.
2: Mm. And I might be jumping the gun a bit here, but it's probably a relevant time to bring it up. You often have very big names and you've told us one of the big international names that will be making an appearance this year. Do you want to tell
3: us about that? Well, there's a few big names. (laughs) Uh, One of the big names that we've got to do a keynote speech, which is pretty much straight after the US election. So that'll be fascinating Mm. in itself. His name's Bill Ackman from Pershing Square Capital. He has been credited with the trade of the century conducted earlier this year. Mm. He turned about $27 million into $2.6 billion. Not bad. Not not bad. (laughs) Um, You take it. Through what's called a CDS... Uh, it's sort of like a put option. Mm. He got the correction right, shall we say, in a a big, big way.
4: I mean, it's pretty phenomenal access. We did reach out to Bill Ackman to come on our show, but for some reason (laughs) he just politely declined. (laughs) Maybe (laughs)
2: maybe we'll send him a message while he's on the Zoom uh, (laughs) pitching uh, just to see if he wants to come on. Absolutely. But,
4: Ren, I think, uh, look, it doesn't get much bigger than Bill Ackman, really. You know, One Mm. of the biggest hedge fund managers over in New York. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal to be able to... Listen to him speak for what five hundred bucks or whatever it is. So um it, it's, well, it's four hundred 400 if you're one of the 50, first twenty-five equity mates. <laughs> <laughs> who else have you got
3: coming on, Rory? If anyone has followed what we did last year, we had Kathy Wood from Ark yeah, Funds yeah. Management yeah. who pitched Tesla.
2: Right on brand for her. <laughs> really,
3: really controversial pick. She was considered the most trolled portfolio manager in the world for her view on Tesla. Yeah. She was almost the lone bull. The, basically the most shorted stock in the US market. It's up 600% since she pitched it. Do you think she's still holding?
2: Yeah, I, I remember in the media, her valuation for Tesla is large. Massive. Like, I can't remember how large it is, but it's large, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Her
3: 2024 bull market valuation was $7,000 US. Oh, a share? A share, on the old scale. So you've got to divide that by five. Oh, for, the split. for yeah, the split, yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: it's now... Four
3: hundred and thirty bucks. Four hundred and thirty. So she thinks there's a lot of upside. She she really believes that uh, there'll be uh, thirty percent of cars in ten years' time will be electric vehicles. Wow. Mm.
4: Yeah. Again, someone else we tried to get on the show and politely declined. So you guys are doing something (laughs) right. You guys are doing something right. Hey, let's stop
2: talking about the people we haven't been able to get on the show.
4: (laughs) But it just goes to show the quality and I guess the size of the people that are coming on. Like these
3: are. Big hitting yeah. investors.
2: Ray Dalio was at the conference last year, wasn't? Yeah, it?
3: he did a keynote speech yeah, as yeah. well about the state of the world.
2: Yeah, he's doing a lot of those state of the world yeah. hits at the yeah. moment, isn't he? Yeah. So for people that aren't familiar, Ray Dalio is the founder of the biggest hedge fund in the world, one hundred and twenty billion dollars under mm. management. Uh, Bridgewater Associates.
4: Jeez, I'm getting excited. So you've got some pool. <laughs> yep. You've got your core managers and then you've got your conference managers coming in and pitching these stocks. It sounds pretty incredible. How is the fund actually performing?
3: The fund's performed pretty well. We listed on the 14th of November 2018, so just about two years ago now. The price was $2.50. The share price today was $4. Oh, nice. So that's, do the maths, yeah. the almost 60% return, I think. It's been fantastic. Yeah, nice. mm. It's been fantastic.
2: If you bought it at the bottom of COVID, you would have Ooh, made yeah. 90%. It traded,
3: yeah, <laughs> it, it traded down to $1.90, I think, mm. um, when there was just a complete exit from equities. Yeah. No, nothing was immune in late February, early March.
4: And so just to confirm, and apologies if you have said it, but the stock pitches that the conference fund managers pitch, do they only stay in the portfolio for 12 months until the next conference?
3: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So. 35% of the funds in the portfolio get invested in the conference names and 65% get invested in the core names. There's three stocks from each of the core managers. So 18 stocks represent 65% of the portfolio and call it 12 stocks represent 35% of the portfolio. Do those,
2: do those core positions also get turned over once a year or no, can they be no, helpful? No, like no their,
3: yeah. their general holding period is, yeah. is three to five years. Okay. Okay. Our job is to try and find a suite of managers that will provide solid returns in any investment environment. Mm. So we have some managers that have changed their positions more frequently. We've had some managers that haven't touched their, yeah, their stocks.
4: Yeah. Can the core managers pull in stocks from the conference managers and say if you know, the Tesla stock came in and then...
3: Well, t- they just take, they well, take the best like, ideas you know from what? the conference. I actually, I actually
4: want <laughs> t- t- Tesla in here longer than 12 months. <laughs> oh, I see
3: what you said, you know say. what I mean? yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Not while it's in the conference portfolio. Right. Okay. So coming up to the next conference in the next couple of weeks, the remainder of the conference stocks that were pitched last year will be sold down Mm -hmm. and the funds will be redeployed into the new stocks. If a core manager was to say, I want to change stock XYZ into my core portfolio recommendation into Tesla, he would have to give us his investment reasoning behind that. And it would be considered by our investment committee to be included in the portfolio, yeah. Yeah, nice. So it can be done.
2: I would love to see your investment committee when someone wants to, one of the core managers wants to change one of their positions and some of the other big dogs in the room disagree. That would be an interesting investment committee to be in. Sure is. Yeah, (laughs) We've had some of those recently. Oh, really? (laughs) I mean, unless you can share details, but I imagine there's probably some confidentiality that you got to respect there.
3: There's absolutely some confidentiality. What I can share with you is that we did release a slight amendment to our investment guidelines Last week to the Australian Stock Exchange. Okay. Um, and I do a weekly blog, which is on our website, which is free for everyone to see. And you can just sign up and subscribe and read that if you like. And I spoke about it in my update yesterday. So it's nothing confidential. But recently we came up with a quality problem in our portfolio where one of the core stocks had performed so well it had become quite a large portion of the portfolio. Okay. What, so, which stock was that? It was one of the core stocks, oh, which we don't disclose yeah, okay. yep. out of respect to the core managers because it's their intellectual yeah, property. Course, if, they want to, if they want to tell the public what their highest conviction stock idea is, yep. that's up to them. And out of courtesy, we don't share that. Sure. We had one of those stocks performing fantastically well. And so the investment committee had a debate about whether or not you – allow the position to run a little bit longer because it's become a bigger position because it's performed so well, or whether you just say that's just got to be trimmed. Mm. And so it was a lively investment debate, and one of the members of the committee sort of likened it, and and I did use his analogy in my update yesterday, it's like having Michael Jordan on your team, (laughs) or Steve Smith, or Virat Kohli, Or Don Bradman on your team, do you do you retire them because they've got so many runs or score so many points in a game if they're not injured? Mm. Mm. Do you keep do you let them bat on or play on? And so we made a, an amendment to our investment guidelines that star performers can can go a little bit longer than okay. than we had originally said.
2: Yeah. So I'm interested to know. You know, at the start, Bryce introduced you as an expert in portfolio construction and risk management, and I imagine that becomes quite important when you're building this portfolio, because depending on what the conference participants pitch and then the specialties of the core managers, you could end up with a highly undiversified portfolio. Tech is obviously hot. What happens if all twelve conference participants get up and say? you know, COVID's here to stay, work from home's here to stay, and you get Zoom, 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 Zoom DocuSign, <laughs> Amazon, Microsoft. Uh, how do you manage that? Great question. Great question.
3: Manager selection is is the simple you know, top-line answer to that. We don't want to have just tech specialists. Mm. We want to have some sector specialists, but we also want to have people that just go looking for you know, the the best idea of anything. And so far, we've succeeded by our selection of diverse managers because there are lots and lots of different types of managers. There, you know, There's the growth managers, there's the value managers, there's agnostic managers, there's sector specialists. Mm.
2: So is that diversity both of strategy, but then also in terms of like
4: Australia, absolutely. US? Absolutely. O- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. absolutely. Do, you, do you
3: take on small caps? Generally not, by virtue of the size of the portfolio. Now, there's yeah. just there's about nine hundred million dollars wow. of capital that gets deployed now.
2: You could do a spin off fund, allocate ten percent of the funds for like twelve positions, and do a second day like a small cap
3: Saturday, and have a second
2: <laughs> second conference. It's not it's a bad got, idea. It's got legs.
3: <laughs> I'll give you an analogy about. About small caps small and and, caps and why and why one of the reasons that we don't like using them we call it the lobster pot analogy. Lobster pots are really easy to get into, mm. but they're really hard to get out mm, of. Yeah, and when things go wrong, you don't want to be stuck in the lobster pot. So yeah, you know, for our shareholders, we like to have highly liquid stocks because mm. a position size might be twenty million dollars uh, at cost. Yeah, if we need to liquidate that, we want to liquidate it in a hurry. Yeah, because as I said, my background's portfolio construction and risk management. The thought of not being able to get out of something yeah. is a horrible feeling. I've experienced it before in some of my previous jobs, and it is not fun. So that's one of the things that I've just said. The stock must be liquid enough that if something goes wrong, because even in a high-conviction portfolio, people can be wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. We just like to be able to get out. Jeez, Quickly.
2: It would be huge if no one was wrong out of the 30 it stars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Gold mine. Yeah.
2: So the other question that I have is just around the conference stocks and the timing of them. So the investors who are pitching go into this pitch knowing that the stock's only going to be held for a year. And mm. so part of their thesis can't be just like a general thesis about why this is a good company and why it will grow. It has to be why there will almost be like a catalyst within the 12-month timeframe frame. Do you explicitly ask for them to include that in their pitch?
3: We'd like to, yeah. Yeah. We'd like to say if you're going to pitch a stock for 12 months rather than three to five years, there's got to be a reason. Mm. So you've got eight minutes to talk about it, to mm. talk about the company, and then talk about why you think that there's a catalyst coming in the next. Yeah. Year. And for most stocks, there are a catalyst like yeah. that. But that's why, again, in terms of diversity, having the conference stocks where there is a catalyst in the next 12 months, but in some of the core stocks, the catalyst may be two years out, but it's so deep value that it's good for investors to be there.
4: What an environment to be pitching in for the 2020 conference. Big one, isn't I it? mean, it's a big yeah. one. U.S. <laughs> election, COVID, so much. I mean, yeah. There's a lot going it's on. It's going to be yeah. fascinating. Central and the managers—that's
3: yeah. the only discussion I have with the managers—is know your environment.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of, have there been any really memorable pitches for you, or perhaps stocks that have come out of, it and you just gone, wow, you know, never heard of that stock, or you know, that was an amazing pitch, or perhaps any flops. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Let's go to the memorable pitches. <laughs> well, Tesla is a memorable pitch because mm. to be up 600% in one year mm. and mm. it was controversial. It was controversial. It's the most shorted stock probably in the world. Yeah, And you know what? It, I think it still is by virtue of the fact that the stock is you know five times larger now than it was, so the shorts are in a whole lot of pain. But to stand up and do that and to hear – Kathy's investment thesis for the next 12 months and to see it play out just beautifully, Mm. um, I'm never going to forget that. The year before, we had Tim Carlton from OzCap pitch JB Hi-Fi. Memorable pitch for two reasons. Again, it was one of the most shorted stocks on the Australian Mm. stock market that year. So in 2018, it was one of the most shorted stocks. But secondly, in our 2017 conference, JB Hi-Fi was pitched as a short Oh, really? Yeah. I was going to ask that. So people can pitch shorts? They can. Shorts can't be invested in the portfolio because it's a long-only portfolio. But you know what? Investors love to hear about uh, (laughs) shorts because another (laughs) word for pitching a short is pitching a train wreck. Mm. Yeah. So to have someone stand up and pitch why JB Hi-Fi is his highest conviction, long idea, 12 months after another superstar fund manager pitched it as a short was a gutsy play. And you know what? He was right. We generated a fantastic return holding it for 12 months.
2: Was the short right as well in that year did JB go down?
3: I think it flatlined. Okay. I think yeah, it flatlined, yeah, yeah. which in a rising market is still a good outcome.
2: Yeah. And then when it was pitched as a long, it, was pitched as a long, it I think yeah. it
3: ran 40 to 50% or something. Yeah, wow. So- Fantastic return.
2: Yeah. Well, Bryce uh, likes to call himself the bricks and mortar whisperer he, um, <laughs> or, the, or the retail whisperer. He has a knack for picking retail stocks. Um, so maybe you should get him along to pitch the next JB Hi-Fi.
4: <laughs> Equity mates, we will just quickly pause to hear from our sponsors. So, Rory, before we close and give a few more details on the conference, any other sort of memorable moments from the previous conferences or or big names
3: that you're hoping may come back?
2: Warren Warren Buffett (laughs) on the cards (laughs) for 2021.
3: (laughs) We tried to get Charlie Munger this year, thinking it's virtual. Virtual, Uh, We we were a chance of getting a 95-year-old to speak in front of a camera. We didn't succeed.
2: Okay. okay. (laughs) Um, uh, So you've got much better pull than us, but even your pull has its limits. Everything's got its
3: limits. (laughs) Big names in the very first conference, Hamish Douglas from Magellan, pitched Apple. Yeah, right. And you you go back to 2016 and look at what Apple's done in the last Mm. four years, let alone the last 15 years. Fantastic pitch. Phil King, who's one of our core managers, I think it was in 2017, he stood up and pitched Appen, which is a a voice recognition Business which is performed like I think when he pitched it it was five dollars fifty five dollars sixty or something. Look at the share price now. I think it's thirty five or thirty six dollars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Two or three years later. Yeah. Um. And so we're lucky to have people like that as core managers, mm. but have also been conference managers. Mm.
2: The thing for me would be it must suck to sell a lot of these companies. Like you. You see them run in the portfolio for a year, like you know, a company like Apple or like Apen, which has had heaps of growth after it must hurt to sell them.
3: The one that hurts most recently about that, yes, it does hurt. But mm. uh, the one that hurts most recently is DocuSign, yeah. So that was yeah. pitched by a hidden gem. His name is Bobak Pusanchi, yeah. I think i pronounced that right, from Coda Capital in New York. He's one of our sector specialists. Presenters, and he specialises in software as a service. Okay, the good, SAS good sector. sector to be in. A these good days. sector. <laughs> so he pitched DocuSign, and I should have mentioned his presentation on DocuSign as one of the memorable ones because it was one of those dull moments of <laughs> e-signatures. Yeah, so no. obvious. Yeah, we um, had that in COVID. We're like,
4: how did we not think yeah, of that? Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> that one probably hurts me the most because we we. Even though we achieved about an eighty percent return from November twenty eighteen to November twenty nineteen, from November twenty nineteen yeah. to now, <laughs> I think it's up sixfold.
2: Yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. Covid has that been hurts. very good. for Covid that has company. been very yeah. good for that sort of company. Wow. So, um,
3: yeah. Fortunately, we have Bobak coming back this year to pitch another stock in his sector. So, yeah, we're excited to have people like that yeah. coming back. Awesome.
4: Yeah. So, before we jump to the final three, Rory, that Ren will take you through. Worth just touching on the amazing offer that you guys are offering at Equity Mates Community. So for the first 25 community members that do jump on and grab a ticket, that is 20% off original price, 500 available now for 400 to the first 25. Use the code HM1MATES. We will put all the information as well as the address au in our show notes. It is on the Friday, November 13th kicking off at 8am. The good news is though, if you are at work and you can't make it during the day, that the recording is available for 48 hours after the event. So you can spend your weekend on the couch watching Bill Ackman, you know, Kathy number, Wood, Kathy know. Wood, a number, <laughs> a, a huge range of uh, awesome investors and, and stock pitchers and set yourself up for a, a potentially some pretty big returns in 2021. So Fantastic opportunity. Alec and I will be there online yeah, watching we'll along, watching, so yeah. um, can't wait.
2: I would say if you're at work, you can watch it up to 48 hours afterwards, but I would say Chakasiki. Absolutely. you want to see it live. <laughs> <laughs> and I just noticed the date, Friday the 13th. Is That's an inauspicious day to uh, to be
3: putting the conference on. We've just been saying November the 13th. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fair call. Fair so it out of the bag Going forward, here. can we just call it November the 13th? <laughs> <laughs> November
4: the 13th, 8 a.m., 400 exactly. for the first twelve. 25 Equity Mates listeners. Of course. You can still buy if you are the 26th, it'll just be 500. And also, this is not the last time that we'll be hearing from Rory and uh, Hearts and Minds. We do have, as Alex said, actually, yeah, we we
2: said it at the very start and then we didn't explain what this (laughs) was. So maybe we should do that.
4: We are fortunate enough to have access to a couple of past fund managers who have pitched and potentially a couple of us that will be pitching in 2020. So stay tuned for some episodes coming up over the next couple of weeks featuring Rory and those fund managers. It's going to be awesome to unpack what their number one pick is coming up over the next 12 months. So pretty awesome opportunity for the Equity Mates community, to be honest. For people who are trying to put
2: that code in now, it's HM1mates, no spaces in there and all caps. It's in the show notes, but yeah, if you had that question, hopefully that answers it. Speaking of questions, Rory, we've got a final three questions that we like to end every interview with. So we'll get stuck into them now. The first one is do you have any
3: must-read books, and these can be investing or otherwise? The first book I was told to read about investing, it's a bit left field. Yeah, It was written in 1923, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. Okay. Yeah, Heard yeah. of that one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Story of Jesse Livermore. Yeah, mm-hmm. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It's the sort of book you can read again and again, and you can read it if you're 20, 30, 40, 40.
4: Yeah, I have heard that. It's one that you can just pick up and the more you know about markets, yeah. you take something it's fantastic. different. Mm. And, yeah. yeah. It's a really good book.
3: Another one I've read recently, it's called You Only Have to Be Right Once. Think about the name. It's yeah. It, yeah. it's it's basically the story of a a whole lot of the Silicon Valley investors. So the story of Spotify, the story of Snapchat, the story of Tesla's in there, Airbnb, something that a lot of millennial investors have all heard of. The story of these guys who got it right once and mm. how successful they've been. I think it's a fantastic read. And again, another one you can read repeatedly. And another one, it's not an investing book, but I loved it. It's called The Nordic Theory of Everything. Okay. sounds weird, but it's unputdownable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love it. Basically, it, it compares and contrasts life in the US compared to the Nordic region.
2: Right. Yeah, uh, right.
3: And, and just the differences the way that they conduct life, like the the Nordic region, your preschool daycare is all funded by the government. Mm. Aged care is all funded by the government. University is all free. So a lot of people, they don't have those concerns of how am I going to pay for my kids to go to preschool so, so that I can work. And then it just goes from there and there and there. And it makes you want to really consider where you live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's interesting. It's a fantastic book. Yeah, really yeah.
2: Good. that's great. So second question, what's your go-to source for investing information?
3: For investing information, the first place I would go is the website of the company. Yeah. I go and look at what they do and look at their balance sheet. I'd like to see that they're actually making money. And if they're not making money, when they think they're going to make money. Mm. And then I'll think about investing in them. I'm probably pretty conservative like that. On a day-to-day basis every morning, I'll I'll read the Financial Review. i read the Wall Street Journal. i read Seeking Alpha, which is just a a free website, which is fantastic. i look at Livewire and Share Cafe, some local versions of Seeking Alpha. And uh, another one that I sort of remembered that I looked because I got the email today, Howard Marks, who was a keynote speaker at our conference last year with Ray Dalio, who runs Oak Tree Capital Management. He does an investor newsletter, which, again, is free to subscribe you get the insights of Howard Marks, who I put up there with Ray Dalio in terms of all-time legends of the investment Yeah,
4: I heard he's just turned it into a podcast. His uh, memos? Yeah. Oh, what you know, his newsletter. He's uh, now, he's now okay. doing a pod.
2: There you go. Damn it. <laughs> we'll try and get him on the show to talk true, about his podcast. True, true. <laughs> Launch his pod. <laughs> so the final question that we like to ask, if you think back to your younger days, you know, when you were leaving uni and starting out a trading floor for the first time, um, what advice would
3: you give your younger self? Start investing early. Start investing early. Uh, The the most important thing with investing is the power of compounding Mm. and compounding those last few years just become so much more substantial the earlier that you start. That's the most important thing to me. Good investing is probably boring It doesn't need to be whiz-bang. Like it's, yeah, Tesla's done fantastically, but people like to speculate. Mm. But investing should be boring. Find really good companies that just have, like like Warren Buffett described, the economic moat, all of that. Find the boring companies that just grind and grind and then just let the compounding effect Mm. take effect.
2: Yeah.
4: I feel like both pieces of advice are going straight in the book. Yes.
2: yes. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that we're writing a book, so that's probably well, cats out of, out that of that the bag. <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> Anyway, Rory, two great pieces of advice to finish on. Thank you very much for coming in and sharing your story, but also all the work that you're doing at Hearts and Minds. It's a phenomenal cause and also a great investment vehicle for beginners as you said, a lot of the fund managers are difficult to get access to, but this is a great way to to get access to, as you said, creme de la creme. So, we're looking forward to the conference and keeping in touch and also our series of interviews over the next coming weeks. So, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.